From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you wherever you may be around the world. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Pastor Mike Douglas with you, along with our producer and co-host Elaine Harlan. And uh, actually, we, we've got to lift up our prayer intercessor. He yes. needs prayer tonight. Uh, yes, the inimitable Mr. Owl. Not too inimitable tonight. Um, uh, under, the, no. under the weather, but uh, we'll be praying for him and uh, miss him this evening. But we have a room full of guests tonight. This, this is, is going to be very it. cool. And uh, some new friends from the University of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. We call them our Phoenix friends. Yes. Great to have you uh, with us. And uh, tonight is going to be a, a real treat. And we've had the opportunity to read through uh, a book that has come out called The Little House That Cares. And it's uh, presented by the Visually Impaired Person Support Center uh, here in Modesto. And, of course, our... Our good friend, longtime friend, Marty Lancer is here with his friends, and uh, we're going to be introducing all of them in just a couple of moments. This is, it is a compelling read. It really is. You know, you, you get into the stories here, and you really can't put it down. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's somewhat addictive in, in that regard. Uh, and we're going to unpack that mm-hmm. in a couple of minutes. And of course, right at the top of the broadcast, uh, friends, we want to acknowledge the homegoing of, of one of the giants of the faith, uh, Chuck Colson. Yes. Uh, this past weekend, and, and, and you know, Elaine, we we throw around uh, Romans ten twenty eight kind of um, lightly, oftentimes without thinking about it. But really, Chuck Colson was an example of that. Uh, a man who was involved in some pretty bad stuff at the highest levels of government, and uh, you know, did his debt to society and and gave his life to the Lord, and and God really just turned him around and used him in a powerful way. For what, 40 years to, uh, yes. to really, uh, bring peace and recognition and, uh, and, and rights, uh, to the men and women in prison. And we just so much appreciate his, uh, wonderful contribution to society. And, uh, while we miss him, heaven has gained just a, mm-hmm. a, a wonderful man there. Uh, just a, a reminder, by the way, uh, if you're in our area, we'll be at the Turlock Community Fellowship this coming Sunday right. morning. And is that 10.45, 10.30? You're asking me. You know, yeah. Well, <laughs> notice I didn't ask you the directions to get there because, you know, I've, the... I've visited Keokuk and don't want to do it this Sunday. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm just being truthful, ornery, uh, facetious or something. Anyway, uh, Trillock Community Fellowship, look forward to meeting with you and had the opportunity to uh, talk about advancing vibrant communities and and getting people out into the community to serve with the uh, Shelter Cove Men's Group this uh, past Saturday. And that was, you know, the the dangerous thing, though, is that uh, I had to be there about 7.30 to get prepared Uh for 8 o'clock. early. This is a.m., right? Yes. Yeah, a.m. And, you know, I'm just not a morning person. 
you know, I just don't function well till about nine o'clock in the morning. So there, there's always that caveat when you have me and these meetings where they want me there at six thirty in the morning. That's really dangerous, you know. It's difficult. To, yeah. It's difficult okay. for you know to be cogent for me at that hour. But it, you know, miracles do happen. Thank so. goodness for Starbucks. Ah, amen to that. Yeah, some good <laughs> sturdy Starbucks at that hour of the morning. All right, industrial well, strength. Industrial strength Starbucks. Absolutely. All right, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Morning. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with news about another real-life Jesus freak. Early in the 15th century, John Huss is a priest in what is now the Czech Republic. But the bishops of the established church expel him because of his radical teachings. You see, Huss dares to claim that an individual can have a personal relationship with God. Summoned by the church council, he looks forward to defending his beliefs. But it's a trap. He's thrown in jail, mocked, tortured, and even condemned to death by fire. His final words say so much. For the gospel, I am here, with a cheerful mind and courage, ready to suffer death. What I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. Will you take a stand? Go online to persecution.com. Wow, some good stuff. And we've got some great stuff on the way. First, let's take a quick look at the Volunteer Center of the United Way. Opportunities to serve the Modesto Gospel Mission. They have been there for a long time, haven't they? they? Doing great great stuff. Well, they've got a street relief coming up, and that's this Friday, April 27th, from 10 until 2. And this is a one-day fair providing some great stuff, lunch and immediate services or resources to shelter and housing, a bike and wheelchair repair, medical, legal, all kinds of stuff, haircuts, isn't that cool, clothing assistance, uh, and more from 40 human service agencies are getting together to help out on this. Adult volunteers are needed to greet people showing up, staff the information booths, serve lunch, uh, kind of help out with all of the agency representatives and, and just kind of uh, maybe help complete some paperwork. And, you know, if you're bilingual, that would be uh, very helpful also. And this is between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. And since 1948, as we were saying, the Modesto Gospel Mission has provided nutritious meals, warm beds, and a place for safety for literally thousands of people. And it's just an, an awesome, uh, awesome organization. <laughs> And this is really a, a, a grassroots thing. Really uh, our friend Brad Wilson uh, over there, who uh, is their development director, uh, was sitting, kicking around some ideas, you know, not too long ago, actually. And they said, hey, why, why, why don't, you know, why don't we just do something on the campus here? Hmm. And so we're accessible. And it's kind of like the PAC meetings that, that yes. you are part of, Elaine. Mm-hmm. Let's have all the resources around here that are needed for the homeless in one place at one time. And let's see, let's see what happens with that. And, and our, uh, our friend Chris Whitler, also a member of the ABC yes, board, uh, yes. is uh, involved in that. So <laughs> even if, uh, you, you can't volunteer the whole time, uh, they would love to have you come down and at, at least welcome people and make them feel at home. You know, you never know what happens when you brainstorm and, and I like it when you heart storm. 
you know, put your brains and hearts together. You just never know. I just don't have me do it before six in the morning. Oh, right. Or have yeah. lots of Starbucks yeah. on here. Yeah. Anyway. But the National Multiple Sclerosis Society of Northern California, and we love these people too. Mm. Uh, we were out walking with them. Was it last year? The year before? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. I lose track of time, but these people get together and they walk for MS. This is schedule, a schedule for this Saturday, Downey Park in Modesto is where it takes place. Uh, and you can learn all about, uh, MS and, and, and help to fight uh, this disease, raise funds for it, and help out volunteers. This is where we come in. Uh, you go out, and you're needed to help out with setting up, decorating, greet the participants, uh, kind of encourage them along the route there where they're walking. Uh, they serve breakfast, lunch, and kind of uh, control the traffic because that's a needed uh, thing as well, walker motivation, because, you know, people get tired, and they just need that encouragement, as we all do. So if you want more information, we'll give you a number to call here uh, in just a moment. And then another organization that we dearly love, 211 of mm. Stanislaus, and uh, they definitely need our support directly impacting the lives of people here with the 211 of Stanislaus. It's a free service, and we like that word too, free, uh, provided 24 hours a day here, seven days a week via telephone. And you know, we get a lot of referrals from 211. Mm, yeah, they call AVC here on a regular basis. Uh, so they need people to answer phones uh, and do a lot of things there. Volunteers needed to uh, implement marketing strategies and uh, provide community outreach and just do a lot of different things. So uh, if you want to uh, be providing direct referral services to callers and a lot of different things, uh, bilingual abilities, also a plus but not required, then uh, you want to give Barbara Borba a call for any of, of these items if you're interested in doing these. And she can be reached at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Again, that's 209-524-1307, extension 113. Or email her. She loves your emails. bborba at uastan.org. That's b Borba at uastan.org. There's another important event that we would like to share with you, dear friends, and that's happening with the Haven Women's Center here in Stanislaus, and it's called Take Back the Night and March Against Violence. And of course, we're talking about domestic violence, and that's this is something that we all uh, should care about uh, very, very much and be involved with. And this is happening April 25th, uh, and uh, the rally starts at 5.30 p.m., followed by a march at 5.45 they're going to have free refreshments and live poetry. And if you want more uh, information on this event, please call 209-524-4331. Again, that's 209-524-4331. And we encourage you to get involved in that as well. Well, you know, it's the time of the year when we're all doing spring cleaning kind of stuff, right? Mike, we're getting the cobwebs out of the garage, and we've got stuff we don't even know and where it came from. And the spiders are ticked. I want to tell you about that. <laughs> the spider union has come. I know you have. <laughs> they filed a complaint with me about this whole business. <laughs> Mike, if you don't know, has titanium weeds and I probably do. titanium spiders. Who knows? They I do. We know, we have black widows ooh, on ooh, steroids. Ooh. I mean, these these dudes are huge. Yeah. You know, and but they get really ticked when you sweep things out, you know, because they like to be around where it's dusty and, and yeah. they can eat little things. Find a lot of that around. Never been place. bitten, though. Yeah. Well, that's a good out. thing, and we hope that you yeah, don't do right. that. But anyway, a lot of people cannot do their uh, weeding and, and uh, all of those things, mowing the lawns and whacking the weeds and doing the patio cleanups. And we have a lot of senior-type people, not the 
we fit into that. No, absolutely category. not. But anyway, um, we have a lot of people who cannot do those kinds of things around their homes anymore. And we would like for you, dear friends, to call us if this is something that you would like to help out with. And we can connect you with these precious people uh, who are in need of uh, your services. And also, if you are uh, wanting to give of your resources, and we're talking about used, good, still functioning refrigerators, beds that are in good conditions, because we have some families mm-hmm. who are definitely in need of these things and we'll pick them up and we'll deliver them and our uh, volunteers who do so do so with a smile right mike absolutely these, uh, guys just live right? to do this stuff so give us a call and we'll take care of these items our guys deliver uh call us at 209-544-9571 again that's 209-544-9571 and we'll get those items to where they need to go well um, we are just pleased as punch, <laughs> very happy to have our friends from VIPS, the Visually Impaired Person Support Group here. And I believe the last time that Marty Lancer and John Brooks were here with us, the book wasn't out yet, right. but mm-hmm. it was in the process. In it was process. a project, right. right, guys? Yep, that's right. And uh, now that Marty's back and John's back, we have two new friends joining us also tonight, Janet Gearhart and Ruth McKenzie. And we just want to welcome all of you around this table tonight. You've graced our table. And we are just privileged and uh, so honored to have you all with us. Thank you for joining us tonight. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Marty, this this book is is just incredible. And uh, let me say, uh, if you're out there for a, a twenty dollar donation, is that right? Yes. Uh, to uh, to Vips, you you can get it. It is is not just inspirational, but it it gives you a uh, a sense of the genesis. Uh, of, of dealing with life and, and Marty, Marty comes from the perspective of someone who is born blind and, but there are other stories in there of people who had uh, encountered blindness in adulthood and it is just absolutely compelling to read how these folks dealt with the issues and Marty I, I'm, I'm just reading, you are just absolutely inspirational as, as I'm reading through this. I, I'm, I'm reading the little stories about you, you driving in the cars and, and you can, you can smell a Packard coming down the street. You know? what, what's the line in that song, absolutely. Marty? Mario Andretti would have sure been proud. You remember that song? I do. Yes. An easy rider, Charlie yes, Daniel. Yes, yes, yes. And, well, <laughs> this is incredible. and then, and then, and then you tell a story in here about, wrestling with with a friend of yours and and you put your hand on top of his head and suddenly occurs to you his hair is different there there's something different about his head yeah yeah Un- unpack that one for us that well is, is I, we, we were we were wrestling around and i reached up like this and i and i put my you know hand on top of his head and i thought wow that is one strange hat or one strange hairdo and i i gotta ask him so we were, and he was a couple years older than me and bigger, you know, so I wanted to ask him nicely, you know. That, that, <laughs> and I said, hey, Bruce, I said, uh, is, is, is this, and I, you know, kind of t- touch his head, is this, is that your hair? Is that your hat? And he goes, cause I was in first grade, and he goes, uh, it's my hair. And I thought, that, I, I gotta go home and ask about this, cause it's not like my hair. And, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, you know, no matter what level you're on, you think everybody's like you. And so I went home and I asked my mom, I said, there's this kid today that's got the weirdest hair. And she goes, well, who is it? And I said, oh, Bruce Woods. And she goes, oh, well, Marty, he's a different race than we are. 
And I said, what's that? She goes, well, he, he's a Negro and, and they have different kind of hair. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of surprised and she says, well, you know, grandma's friend, Mrs. Harvey. Yeah. Well, she's a Negro too. And, and so is her grandson, Jerry. And I, you know, I'd play with Jerry and, and as a younger than six year old, you know, and, and I remember playing with him and really having a good time. And I just didn't notice any, anything different. And, uh, that was a real that was a real eye opener for a six year old for for me at was. that time. I, it just really was. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Wow. Well, how, what a beautiful thing if, if if we could go through life and not have to know those differences, mm. wouldn't it be? Mm. I, I got to ask you this, Marty. They called you the streak. <gasps> Don't look at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that was coming. I I'm knew sorry, that was coming. I'm sorry. Well, you know, now we had to decide how we want to do this. I could say it's in the book. If you want to find out about it, you got to read the book. You know, that's a good teaser right there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and bless your heart, Janet Gearhart is with us tonight. And Janet, you come from a little bit different perspective because you, unlike Marty, Marty mm-hmm. was born blind. You became blind. Mm-hmm. I did. I did. Big surprise. Um, if you read my story, it starts out where as a child, oh, maybe I was around 11. I was out at the schoolyard playing with my girlfriend, and I saw a man with a cane, you know, and uh, maybe around 40 or so, you know, and when you're 10, that's like a really old person. Um, and it actually made me a little nervous to look at this guy. So I, I said to my girlfriend, I-, I think he's blind. And she said to me, which would you rather be? Deaf or blind? And I thought real quickly and I said, I would rather be deaf. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be blind. But you know what? I didn't know that I didn't have a choice. God knew I didn't have a choice. Mm. I just didn't know I didn't have a choice. So, yeah, I found out many years later that I had a genetic defect mm. um, called retinitis pigmentosa, which takes your sight rather slowly and at times you don't know that you're really losing your vision you know, I kind of question that uh, oh, that this can't really be happening it's happening too slowly and when someone loses their vision um, unlike Marty who is born blind those that um, we lose our vision slowly through a disease or uh, there's one lady in the book that loses it shortly after um, surgery you have to adjust to that, and the adjustment process is one where you can go into those five stages of grief and mm. denial and anger. And I lived my life in a lot of anger. Mm. And if you read my portion of the book, you'll see I was very angry at God, very, very angry at God, and felt like I didn't deserve what I perceived as something that he had done to me. So I, I lost my faith for many years because of that. You talked about denial and the stages of yes. all of those in a way that I don't believe I ever saw before. And I, you gave a different perspective of that. And I really appreciated the way that you addressed those things and how you came to grips with denial in your story was, was Thank you. special. Thank you. It, uh, it took me a while to get there. And, you know, also there was a lot of prayer for me. There were people praying for me that I didn't even want to pray for me. Mm. I wanted to remain angry. Mm. You know, being angry at God <laughs> kept me, you yeah. know, at a distance from the blindness. Mm. Yeah, but, uh, you know, God gave me his grace whether I wanted it or not. Yeah. And, and you, thankfully he did. <laughs> you brought your, your sweetheart of a, 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 oh, a guide dog yes. with you. Yes, I'm hoping she doesn't yeah. snore while we're... Uh... And you know that's okay because <laughs> we can always blame it on Pastor Mike, and that would be okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, Marty, I... <laughs> it's just... 
thinking, thinking. Where do you work? I like, <laughs> if, I did, if I still have a How job, long did right? you work? No. Um, Mark, it occurred to me uh, many years ago, I, the guy was telling me a story, and he said, you know, Mike, when you, you lose one of your senses, your others tend to be more acute. They, they uh, uh, tend to be um, uh, to grow a little bit, and, and you, you know, maybe your, your sense of hearing becomes a little more acute. And so he went through those. He says, you know, perhaps if, if you know, you, you lost your eyesight, then maybe your hearing or your sense of touch might be more acute. And I said, what happens when you lose all your senses? And he says, you become a pastor. And so, uh, <laughs> so, so I guess I'm a living testament to that. But, um, gently, I want to go back just for a minute. Sure. Because you, uh, and, and this is the real stuff that, that we love to, to talk mm-hmm. about. Very angry at God about mm-hmm. a major life change that he couldn't do anything about. Mm-hmm. What turned you around? What what allowed you to reestablish a relationship with God after being so ticked at Him for a long time? Well, I was fortunate to have a mother-in-law who had been a good Christian her whole life. So she was a wonderful example. And one of the things that God did that brought me back to church, um, by the way, I was raised in church, so I know that there are some people out there listening that said, oh, yeah, I was raised in church too. What a bunch of hypocrites. Well, I was one of those people that live with a family like that, so that pushed my faith away because I lived one life in church with my family, and at home we had a horrible lifestyle, just a horrible, awful lifestyle that um, we don't have time to even talk about. So... Because I felt like I had been abandoned by God, I also resented that my mother-in-law was a Christian, and I thought, well, you know, she being fooled or what. But she was always a good person who loved God, and we did a family interview with her, and one of the questions that we asked was, how would you like to be remembered? And she said, I would like people to remember that first I loved God. Hmm. And I loved my family. So when my father-in-law passed away, people and family, we took turns taking her to church. So my husband and I would take turns taking her back to church. And, of course, the more I went to church, the more God was speaking to me, the more I saw that my mother-in-law was an absolute wonderful example of a Christian woman. And um, I decided to get baptized, even though I had been baptized as a child, pretty much against my own will. Mm. Um, once I got baptized and made that commitment, I felt such a, a sense of peace and knew that um, I abandoned God, but God never abandoned me. And we want to hear from uh, Ruth here in just a, a minute, but Marty, I want to backtrack just a little bit. And uh, in... One, one, I think one of the inspirational lessons that we can take from your story in here, and again, it is, it is compelling, is the internal fortitude, the uh, commitment to making it work. Yes. Uh, you, you are just such an example of someone who has always seen, at least my perception is, the glass half full, mm-hmm. who is going yes, to make it happen, absolutely. who doesn't look at challenges as defeat, but obstacles to be overcome. Marty, is this something that was always part of your DNA, or is that something that you developed over time that, that kind of grew on you? 
I think I always had as as a, even as a kid a strong will, you know, to do whatever it was that you know I wanted to do. Um but I think perhaps the patience was developed over time. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I can remember uh, for instance and I write about this in the book, um uh, when I was seeking an internship and mm-hmm. things weren't falling together, you know, very well and I remember one spring vacation going over to, uh, with my friend to his, uh, brothers in Great Falls, Montana. And I was kind of saying to myself, well, if the school won't find me an internship, I'll find one of my own. <laughs> and, and so I, you know, I did that or I attempted to. And, you know, we, we had kind of mixed reaction, but I was kind of going through a negative period one day. And I remember my, my friend's, uh, uh, sister-in-law, uh, you know, kind of got on me about it. You know, come on, Marty. Now what? Now what's up with this? And I thought, you know, she's right. I mean, you know, she just she's right. Um, and you know, little things like that, little nudges in that way. You know, you you got to be patient. You know, things just don't come like that. Um, and so I think that sort of was developed uh, through lessons like that. Mm. Um, you know, in my childhood, and 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 even you know, I, I think still continuing in adulthood. But I think I've always had tenacity, though. Yes, yes. Whatever I want to do, I'm going to really do whatever I can do to do that. Uh, and it just so happened that radio was that way. I really wanted to be mm-hmm. on the radio. Mm-hmm. That was anything else would 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 have been almost to a fault too. Because I remember telling someone one time, and this is really stupid now that I think about it. But you know, if I can't do this, I don't even think I'd want to live. You know, and mm-hmm. of course, a dramatic, you know, 21 year old. You know, I mean. <laughs> Sort of, you know, it's it's all about me, you know, and and drama at twenty one, really, (laughs) you know. Imagine that. But that was the intensity, though, that I that I wanted to do this. That Mm -hmm. I felt like anything else would be failure. You had some great teachers too, didn't you? And mentors, Marty. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, and and so, um, you know, it was. uh, uh, so I guess it's it's always been part of it, but I've had to learn along the way as well. Mm. And Elaine, we uh, we don't want to go on without mentioning that for those of you from the Central Valley yes. here, uh, Marty, uh, for many many years, was the voice of Flying Blind mm, Traffic, indeed. and my wife misses you, Marty, and and Flying Blind uh, Traffic. So if you want to hear the story of of the radio junkie turning into the blind streaker, you have to <laughs> get the book, The Little right. House That Cares. Flying blind and driving blind. I think it is just a marvelous, marvelous story. We've known Marty for years. We love him. He's a family member here, yeah, and uh, we just dearly, deeply love Marty and his wife, Terry, and uh, the whole family. And I tell you what, we have another precious, precious sister with us, Ruth McKenzie. And Ruth, we want to welcome you uh, to the show here as well. And uh, the story of your precious daughter, Bree, uh, and what you bring to the book and to the table and to the lives of those of Vips is just uh, remarkable. And what you went through in the early years and, and what you grew and what you learned and what you shared uh, with everybody is just um, remarkable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, when I read the pain and all of that, it was just, it brought your story to life and we thank you. So can you share a little bit about what you learned as you walked through those painful early years? Sure. Um, Bree was our first child and I don't know how other people, when they get married and start a new life, think, oh, we're going to have children and we're going to be happy and have this little house with a picket fence. And 
boom, right off the bat, my child is born. And the first thing I said, which I say in the book, is her eyes are so blue. That's the first thing that I saw, these great big blue eyes. Well, she actually has hazel-colored eyes. And they discovered that there was something wrong with her eyes and didn't know quite what, but that they would send her to specialists to find out. And come to find out, she was born with congenital glaucoma. And it is one of the, your eyes are one of the last things to develop in the womb. And so it had um, been building the pressure up for about six weeks in her eyes. And they were in the 30s. And it should be in the low teens. And so it had even put a crack in one cornea and was apparently quite painful because all she ever did was scream. <laughs> so um, at three days, they started doing surgeries. And every six weeks, they would do the same surgery again, hoping that it would not seal back together but make a little channel for the, the little um, – to open the ducts, basically. There, there were no ducts for the, the fluid to go back and forth. So uh, one eye reacted very well. The other one took about 12 different surgeries. So we're every six weeks in the hospital having surgeries. And then they would hand her back to me with big old patches because they apparently don't make child eye patches. They were adult patches on her eyes. You could barely see her whole face. And they would hand her to me. Her face would be all swollen up. And they'd say, here, don't let her cry. Mm. <laughs> I'm like... Right. And, you know, <laughs> my daughter now who has two children is just when she had children, mom, I don't know how you did this because mm. I can't stop them from crying. I don't know how you did. I said, honey, we would get in the car. We would drive around. We would, you know, whatever we could do. And so it was it was a a, a real shock to now this is your life and not just this you know, pleasant baby being born. So it was a, a real shock. So um, over the years, she is now just a wonderful mom and she's a singer yes. and um, her husband teaches at Azusa Pacific College and they're, they're just doing great. But, and she's an A type personality, kind of like Marty. I'm going to get it done. <laughs> uh, I don't care who tells me I can't do it. I'm going to do it. And she gets it done. So we're just real, real excited. That kind of propelled her into her musical. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Well, we're going to have a taste of that here later on in the program, and we're going to get to uh, speak with John Brooks, our dear friend, who has a a lot to do with what happens over there at the center, and and we look forward to that. Right now we have uh, one more guest uh, for introduction and uh, to tonight's celebration here with our friends, musical guest Francesca Battistelli is here to sing her song Constant for you on Lighthouse Live and we'll return right after this.
Magna Great, Francesca Battistelli, and Constant here on Lighthouse Live. Thanks for listening and being with us tonight. Elaine, this is, uh, again, I wanted to talk about the book. We're going to uh, go into a little more detail with our, our guest. The book is called The Little House That Counts. And it's uh, all about the little stories. House that cares. The cares. Yes. I'm sorry. The little house oh, that yeah. cares. Coming. You know, I'm sighted and I can't read here. You know, that's that's really <laughs> that's pathetic. The little house that cares, presented by the Visually Impaired Persons Support Center in Modesto, California. For a twenty dollar contribution, I'm telling you, th- this book will Wonderful. bless you, yes. and it is just compelling. You will not mm-hmm. be able to put it down. The stories are absolutely, uh, j- just absolutely marvelous. And uh, you can contact them uh, at uh, 522-8477. That's 209-522-8477. And the website is www.vipsmodesto.org, as in Visually Impaired Person Support, vipsmodesto.org. And uh, John Brooks, uh, their uh, operations director, or uh, any of them will be happy to help you with that. Again, it's The Little House That Cares Absolutely incredible mm-hmm. book inspiring if you are having a pity party this will cure it really quick Absolutely. right john <laughs> that's exactly right you know i didn't uh, write a chapter in the book at the time that the writers group began this whole process i had transitioned into going from part-time to full-time as the operations director at visually impaired person support but i'm here today uh as a support to my dear friends mm. in the studio here and i just am so grateful for what they all have done mm. ruth mckenzie for years was the secretary on our board of directors and just starting this year she's now vice president and um this was really her brainchild her mm-hmm. dedication mm-hmm. and effort awesome. she uh took charge of this it was really her idea and she recruited three other writing coaches ruth herself was a writing coach and then there were three others who met with our support group folks uh there were were some from the support group that meets every other monday morning who uh became the writers group and they just plugged away and and wrote their stories and we're so grateful for, uh, you know, this inspiring book. I am very proud of all the writers, 17 mm-hmm. people who, who, uh, created this. I also have to say that I'm proud because my youngest daughter, Laurel Cabrera, was the one who designed the cover. That's oh, awesome. An awesome yeah. cover. <clears throat> and you know, yes. sometimes we've probably all seen, uh, home desktop published, you know, books that just look really hokey. And this book, uh, Laurel took a picture that Ruth McKenzie had taken and she made the cover so that um, it looks kind of like blue lines, kind of like, you know, architect blueprints. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. um, and then I also want to thank my dear friend from the Modesto Camera Center, Ronnie Torres, who donated the uh, portrait that's on the back cover and uh I love this picture. Yeah, so it has all of our writers, the staff, uh a few of our board members, um guide dogs and things. So anyway, my daughter Laurel Cabrera lives in Fort Worth, Texas and she met her husband 
Peter, who grew up in Fort Worth at the Reef to Outback uh, base of Youth with a Mission mm. in Townsville, Australia, wow. up by the Great Barrier Reef. And Laurel had gone for a disciples, uh, DTS discipleship training school and then went back to uh, their school of design. And uh, actually, Peter was one of her instructors, and they, uh, you know, later became engaged, and they've been married since 2008. What so, a sweet story. Yeah. Did a great job. But this is just a wonderful book, and uh, we'd like you to contact us by our website or our phone number, and we can uh, help you to get a copy. And we also have an audio version, right? Yeah. Six CDs That's that correct. people can get as well. Right? Yes. It's yeah. amazing how many people want these audio versions of the book, isn't it? Absolutely. Yay. At our last support group, we had six copies, and they sold out. In fact, Janet, um, who is uh, the uh, uh, moderator, facilitator of our support group, she didn't even get to get a copy on that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's you know, we really thought because believe it or not, there are a lot of people who come to the center, and I think. There is kind of a, 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 and it's a misnomer, well, if you're blind, you know Braille. And that just isn't true. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, and Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, I don't want to get too much into this, but kids even today, uh, Braille instruction is not emphasized like it should be. But there are, you know, if you if you lose your sight at age 55, um, you know, learning Braille, which is obviously totally different than print, um, is not easy and, and not all do it. So what happens is, is, is you really are in a position where, you know, you can't read. Um, if your site has gone so far that you cannot read large print, um, and you don't know Braille and you can't read unless it's by audio. And we thought, how absurd to have this book, um, and not have it available in some audio form. Yeah. So what we, I mean, it would really seem kind of, you know, like, Hey, you're, I thought you were a blind center. What about your book? I mean, so. Uh, Ruth read the women's stories and I read the men's stories and we produced it in the Lancer household living room. <laughs> and, uh, I love there, it. there are times you'll be able to tell that it. a little bit, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, we learned too about, you know, all that goes in, you know, when, when you listen to an audio book at the end, they'll say in post-production and abridgment and mm-hmm. production and editing and engineering. I think, man, that's a lot of people. And now I know why uh, <laughs> they, they use a lot of people, but, um, so we do have the audio book and, and it's, uh, it's, it is available and I'm glad that we can do that for people who maybe, you know, either want to listen to their cars or, for instance, cannot read anymore. Well, is this a stupid question, Marty? What's the possibility and the chances of getting the book into Braille? And I have another question. What about our libraries? Are we getting this into the library? Um, you know, we've talked about getting into Braille, um, and, um, you know, I think cost just makes it prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or, or we probably could do it at the center. Um, Donations? Do we need this to be funded? What's what's the deal? What's well, another it? option is uh, to do it over the computer because most people who are blind or partially sighted have programs that can read. Mm. Okay. So mm-hmm. I can actually, if there's someone that really wanted to read it, couldn't, and... Uh, you know, can't get this, I can send it to them. I'll send them the file, and they can read it on their computer okay. for free, you know. So Braille, you know, we've talked about it, but, you know, frankly, um, as I go around and look at the blind center, look at our support group, there are not many who know Braille. So the question is mm-hmm. um, how, you know, there are people who obviously could use it. but And, and then, there are people who can teach it, right, Marty? 
Braille mm-hmm. teachers literally are dying. Mm, uh, I mean, because really. it is becoming, and not as many universities are offering it anymore. Uh, because unfortunately, there is a thought in educators today. Oh, he's got his computer; he doesn't need Braille. And in fact, that's that's not true. Um, uh, kid, you know, it's, it's been proven that you know people who know Braille are more apt to find work. They're you know just all they really uh, benefit in a lot of ways. And uh, but it's not pushed as hard. And, and like I say, one of the reasons is because Braille teachers are literally dying on the vine. They, well, you know, some, they, sometimes computers crashes. That's you know, right. Yeah, they, they crash, and we have you know things happen. The, the the way it's done now, and this is a little bit different too. And I talk about this in the book. Uh, when I was in school, um, there were two ways for a blind child to get education. Basically, you went to a resource program, or you went to a state school for the blind, which meant you were away from home, most likely. That was it. Um, well, now um, they have. Um, gotten, you know, itinerant teachers who, let's say you live, we'll talk Modesto schools, and let's say you live in the, um, you, you you go to Mark Twain Elementary School, okay? Well, um, when I was in school, all the blind students went to Orville Wright. Well, that's not the way it is anymore. You'd go to your own neighborhood school, and you'd have an itinerant teacher uh, come by and visit you a couple times a week. And as good as these itinerant teachers are, and I believe most of them are pretty good, um, how are you going to learn Braille faster? Are you going to learn Braille faster if you're immersed in it every day? Or are you going to learn it faster when you're in your own neighborhood school seeing a teacher twice a week? Mm-hmm. And and that's really the, the dilemma, but people have kind of gotten to the point, well, it's important for them to go to school in their own neighborhood and be socialized. Well, that's great, <laughs> except... It, and I understand, I, I don't want to belittle that point, but... You know, you can have all the socialization skills, but if you can't read and you can't spell, um, you know, good luck. Um, and I really think we uh, education's taking the wrong turn here. Now, Marty, I, I would be remiss, this is John Brooks, if I didn't uh, say that our colleague Roxanne Keys is very much alive. She is very and much alive. And, very and, much, and she is our uh, trainer in Braille at, she does. at VIPS. But she, she does not work with a school district, though. That, no, that's correct. Yeah, she, but I just wanted to say, right, Marty, that, right. that Roxanne at our center, which is right around the corner from where we're sitting. Just a stone's in, throw. We love that. Yeah. Yeah. We we teach grade one and grade two Braille at VIPS. And so if uh, you're interested or need to learn that mm. skill, you can speak to the counselor at Department of Rehabilitation. Or if you're a veteran, you can contact the Department of Veterans Affairs or just contact us directly, and we'd be happy to speak with you about that. You know, just the other day, uh, Mike and I were talking, and and I think we were talking with some of our guests here, how we love, and and maybe you guys find this to be true also, to open your Bible or whatever book it is you're enjoying and actually hold a book and read it as opposed to reading it online or, you know, an an audio. I don't know. I I enjoy holding my books and and, and reading Mm -hmm. it. I don't know if you find that experience to be true. You know, most of us, I mean, for me, I never got that because, I mean, we had Braille books, but it was, you know, listening to a book is faster. Um, You know, you can have a book in a case that's like the size of a small portable radio as opposed to, well, I'll give you an example. Uh, The Braille Bible, 19 volumes. 
Wow. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if the pastor says, well, I'm going to be preaching on John today, but we're also going to be talking about Ephesians and oh, and, and, okay. and Acts, and uh, we're also going to do a little bit of Old Testament stuff with Nahum and Zephaniah, and, you know, we're talking four or five books there. you got to cart around. Okay. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought of that. Morning. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, okay. I understand. Yeah. I under, I totally understand what you're talking about. Okay. But for but for us, yeah. um, that was not so much something we experienced, at least... Those of us who've been Braille users all our life, you know, um, we just felt good to have the book. Though there is advantages, obviously, to being able to read it, and, and uh, but audio is faster. I'll point that out too. Audio is faster. Marty, you uh, talking about this? There, there's a fascinating little story here about something that, that we would take for granted: taking notes in class. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about what you had to do if you wanted to take notes in class. Well, this was oh, and it's so much better now. But but when I was in school, um, we uh, you know had something called a slate and stylus. Now you couldn't use a braille machine because it was too noisy. So this slate and stylus, you would put the paper in the slate. And you could, you know, you could go four lines at a time. And you had this, the stylus was like a little thing, sort of like a pencil, but shaped a little bit differently. And you had to poke each dot at a time. You know, that was like making a Y, because Y has five dots. So it'd be, you know, and it was like, and you'd have to do that. And it would just sound like someone maybe tapping a pencil very lightly on the, but it was slow. I mean, it was really slow, but that's what you had to do. You either had to do that or, you know, if you had a cassette machine or a reel-to-reel machine, you could record your lectures, but then somehow you had to go back mm. and and listen to them again and copy the pertinent information. Um, and I, I was one that said, I don't want to hear that clown twice. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I've already heard him once. I, I don't want to hear him again. Oh, my goodness. And, and so I, I use the Slate and Stylus. But now with the uh, Braille note takers we have, uh, which are like Palm Pilots, the, 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 the uh, Braille Sense, the Braille Note, and the PacMate, hmm. that's really revolutionized how you have to do it now. It's, oh, it's so much better. Mike was talking about how sometimes your senses, different senses take over, Mm -hmm. which in Marty's case and my daughter's case, they have memories that Mm. do not quit. And um, my daughter can look at a whole sheet of something. She'd say, Mom, help me study with my social studies test or something. She'd say, okay, who, I'd say, all right, who was the emperor in Rome 500 BC? Oh, blah, blah. She'd know. (laughs) And I'd say, oh, how about 400? Blah, blah, blah. I said, honey, why do you want me to study? You haven't gotten one wrong. You never get them wrong. Well, I'm supposed to study so i need to do that but their memories are kind of take over and they do so much better without having to know as much amazing isn't it when i was editing marty's story i am telling you he could he told me the name of every child in his neighborhood their sisters and brothers, and their, their birthdays, parents and name, what car they them. drove, yes, their, yes. Yes, their <laughs> birthdays. So I said, Marty, we can't put all this information in here. So we had to edit a little bit of that out. And uh, so if you want to know it all, he'll tell you. He is incredible. Just amazing, amazing. Janet, you had a brush with death, I called it, when you stepped oh. off. Oh, would you tell us about that truck? Yeah, well, you know, here's another another example of God was with me because, yep. uh, you know, I'm still alive. Um, there's actually another story about that that I did not put in the book, but uh, the one that you're referring to mm-hmm. is I, I, took, I could no longer drive, as you'll learn in the book, which I really, if you talk to anybody that's blind, giving up driving is just, it's, you just don't realize 
how independent you except are. Except for Marty. You know, yeah. Except well, for Marty. <laughs> they, wa- they wanted me to give it up. <laughs> but one of the things that happens when you lose your eyesight, you know, especially slowly, like in my case with the disease, um, you have, and I, you know, I've told Marty this, I have this illusion of sight, which I really don't have. That's why I call it an illusion. Um, and I would think that I could see something which really, you know, I shouldn't rely on what was left over of my vision because it got me into trouble. But I was working, went on, got on the light rail system. And when you get to a corner, if you're blind or visually impaired, you're listening for the flow of traffic. You're listening for cars that are, are accelerating on your right and your left. And if you hear it accelerating away from you, you know it's okay to step off the curb and walk across the street. Uh, so I did that, but I didn't account for the fact that there was a car coming around the corner in front of me, and somebody yelled at me, you know, lady, lady, look out. And because I didn't know what was going on, I didn't know he was talking to me, and I remember this feeling of, like, this heat coming in front of me, and I felt like I was falling backwards, and I realized with what vision I have left, because I have tunnel vision, something really large and white, with heat went right in front of me and it was a truck. I mean, mm. it missed me by inches mm. and I was just, you know, so shook up. And this man just said, didn't you hear me yelling at you? Well, there's all kinds of people getting off the light rail system. Mm. So no, I didn't know. But let me tell you this story that's not in there and it's real short. I have a guide dog. I'm on my third guide dog now. Mm. And these dogs are just, they're wonderful. They're, they're just mm. highly, highly trained. One of the things they're trained to do is if it's dangerous and you step off the curb, they're smart enough to disobey you if it's going to put you in danger. Wow. Wow. Really an amazing thing. When you teach a dog to do this, do that, do that, but you also have to teach them, you know, to disobey you in the event that it's not safe. My second guide dog, I was walking back to my house and I got into the intersection. It was fine. We're walking across. Well, a car came through and didn't see me. And my dog did what it was supposed to do. Now, not all guide dogs actually have to do this, even though they're trained to do it. They back you up extremely fast, which makes you almost fall backwards. And when that happened, I saw a flash of red, and this woman's car was right in front of us. So had my dog not done that, I would have been hit by the car. I don't know, because she was decelerating. She would have hit me. I don't think it would have killed me, but certainly I would have had some broken bones. So, uh, yeah, I have to be careful out there on the streets. You know, one, one of our most beloved friends was Gonzo, uh, Tong Ingebrigtsen's yes. oh, yes. dog. Yes. And we just, Gonzo. Gonzo, Gonzo yeah. yeah. Talk a little bit about uh, what kind of training the dogs go through and the relationship that you develop with, with the dog. Well, in the book, I'm plugging the book here, yes. I do talk a little bit about my furry-faced friend. Um, it is a symbiotic relationship. It's it's one where I describe it. It's like a beautiful dance. Yes, when you, I love that. Just like that. Yes. It is, it's like you, you get in sync with them. And the, the training is one where the dog is trained first. Um, it's puppy raised for about, oh, a year, year and a half and at a puppy raiser's home where they get their own, their basic training. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're good manners, not mm-hmm. the potty in the house, but the potty outside and mm-hmm. to lay quietly at, at your desk or at your feet. And then they're brought back to the school uh, around the age of 14 to 18 months old and they're given formal training in harnesses 
which are the commands that then I, as a guide dog user, would learn when I go to the school to train with my dog. And there are hand gestures and commands. So if you saw me out on the street with my highly trained dog, um, hopefully a very well-behaved highly trained dog, you'd see that I am listening for the sound of traffic. And if I think it's safe because I don't hear the traffic coming at me and I tell my dog to step off the curb with a command, you know, uh, velour, the one that's laying here now, velour Beautiful forward. Yeah, yes, she's a cute she's little gorgeous, black lab. Yeah. Um, then she would step off the curb. She'd get to the other side of the intersection and she would put both her paws up on the up curb to let me know that there was a change in elevation. Mm-hmm. So these dogs are trained to let you know there's a, cha- a change in elevation and also, um, they do not know, people ask me this all the time, isn't it amazing that they know a red light from a green light? No, they don't. They're, they're partially colorblind. Mm-hmm. I have to know the difference and get the dog mm-hmm. command across the street. But the training is intensive. When you get your first dog, you're there at the school, uh, Guide Dogs for the Blind in San Rafael, um, 28 days, 28 mm-hmm. days okay. of intense training. Mm-hmm. And then you graduate with the dog. And it made such a difference in my life. And I, I've told people at my church that one of the, Best creatures God ever created, and I put the dog above the cat, sorry, <laughs> is the dog. Aww. The dog. I mean, they're, they're so loyal. Yes. So, so good. Yeah. But yes, it's intense training. And really, when you come to get a dog, the dog's already trained. It's you, it's me that has to get trained to work with the dog. Mm. Well, your faith has changed throughout uh, your journey and all yes, of this. Yes, it has. Yeah. It has. Yeah. I, I've gone from being an angry person to a person that knew that God was always there with me. And um, it's amazing. I don't feel any shame. I think I should feel shameful that I turned my back on God. But I, God's such a forgiving God that, um, you know, he He just was there the whole time. I mean, I this is a, entirely another show, but I had a horrible, just a horrible childhood. And so I just blamed mm. everything on God. Mm. The blindness was just, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. I like that you said that because that means we'll get to have you back. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I love to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and I think the beauty of, of God's character is he fully accepts and understands mm. when mm-hmm. we get mad mm-hmm. at him. And, but it is that unconditional love. Mm-hmm. That is always there that uh, brings us through. Uh, John Brooks, we're, we're bumping the clock yeah. just here a little bit, uh, but we want to maybe in the next uh, two minutes, if you could, just give us a quick insight into some of the things that uh, uh, the Visually Impaired Person Support Center offers, and then uh, we'll give the uh, phone number and website again just before we go. Thanks a lot, Mike. Um, we have a computer lab at our center, and so we teach people who are blind or visually impaired to use the computer independently. You can think about when you use a computer and you're sighted, one of the most important tools is the mouse. But if you're blind or visually impaired, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. So there's software, screen readers, magnification, scanning software that allows a person to uh, fully use every aspect of the computer. We also have a full kitchen. Oh, and uh, my colleague Mauricio Molina is our uh, uh, trainer of assistive technology. Then Roxanne Keys, who I mentioned earlier, 
is the um, independent living skills instructor and Braille educator. And we have a full kitchen where we teach all aspects of cooking, laundry, uh, money identification, uh, just about anything Roxanne says that a person who's blind or visually impaired needs to maintain their independence uh, we can teach them those things. We also have our support group that meets every other Monday morning from 1030 to 12. And uh, information about all of these programs is on our website, www.vipsmodesto.org. And our phone number is area code 209-522-8477. All right. Well, on behalf of all of us here at Lighthouse Live, we want to thank you, Marty Lancer, John Brooks, Janet Gearhart, and Ruth McKenzie. And as a very special close tonight, we have a beautiful song from the precious daughter of Ruth McKenzie, Bree Noble, sang this song. And the title of the song is You Are My Vision. And Bree's going to close us out tonight. And we want to thank you, dear listeners, wherever you are listening tonight. Thank you. Join us again next time. And may God continue to bless Bless you, and we'll see you next time. And here is You Are My Vision. God bless you. You are my vision, my only vision. You are the ribbon around my soul Your eyes see through me Your words renew me You are the hand I want to hold You are my vision My greatest vision the heaven that lights the dark You are my reason My gift of freedom You are the breath inside my heart I was like a river running dry I'd forgotten I've forgotten how to sing and dance and fly.
into 